So for the last two weeks, we've been studying, I would like to call it studying, some parables uh, that Jesus teaches throughout his life and his ministry. And, and we talked about a couple of parables. The first one was uh, seen almost more like a picture, right? We talked about how uh, Jesus paints this picture of a vine and branches and a gardener. And, and it's this big picture. We can imagine what the situation is. And so for two weeks, we've talked about how parables aren't just random stories. They're not just random times that Jesus decided to sit down and share a lesson, but Jesus used parables as a communication method because he knew that not only for the people of that time, but for generations and generations, that lessons being told in the form of a story are, are comprehensible, right? We can see that image, and even if we don't always just quickly understand the lesson, we can see the image and think, oh, that, that's what was being taught through that. And as we've discussed, most of us would agree that, that learning with a visual has a lasting effect, right? We can all understand that learning without a visual doesn't always have the same effect as learning with a visual. And even though that Jesus taught in, in a visual way, and even though he knew that teaching in a visual way has a lasting effect, even though he knew it was an effective communication tool, Jesus also understood that no matter how he taught, that no matter how many PowerPoint slides he gave, no matter how many poster boards he drew up, that us as people, us as humans, would still struggle with a central idea of life change away from our flesh. And so I know for a fact that I'm not, I just want to warn you, I'm not trying to cast this on you, I'm not trying to say that you have this problem, I'm just saying it's a problem that I have had, it's something I've struggled with, is, is taking an idea or taking a lesson and not applying it in my life. I, I still don't always choose to, to do what I've been told to do. Paul refers to that in the New Testament. I, I still try to do it on my own. And it's not because the information I was given was bad. It's just because I can think I think I can do it better. Right? I, I told a story in the first service. Uh, last weekend we had a crawfish bowl out uh, at some people's place. And um, there was a time where I wanted to build a fire so we could like have s'mores and cook on it and stuff like that. The problem was that it had just rained like two hours before this. And so all the wood was soaking wet. And so, yeah, you're shaking your head. You were there. Um, so I was convinced, right, that I could build this fire. Like, I knew I could. I had no doubt in my mind I could build this fire. And so I had, like, three or four other guys sitting in their camping chairs watching me blow on wet hay for, like, 30 minutes to try to get this fire going. And about 10 minutes in, Chance looks at me, and he goes, dude, there's a can of diesel right over there. Like, all this wood can be easily set on fire if you just go grab the diesel pour a little bit on there, everything will be better. But I was convinced that I could do it better. It, it wasn't that his information was wrong. I knew he was right. And whenever he went into the camper, I went and got the diesel can and poured it on the fire. And when he came out, I was like, see, I told you I could do it. <laughs> it's not that the information was bad, right? It's that I was convinced that I could do it my way. I was convinced that, that I had what it, what it took to get to where I wanted to be. And even though Jesus knew that we would have that issue, even though Jesus knew that, that we would still struggle with listening and understanding what we were hearing, it didn't stop him from teaching in parables. It didn't stop him from teaching in a digestible way because he knew that, that whenever he taught in this way, we could come back to it and say, man, I, I, I can see this picture in my life now. I can see this story play out in my life. And a prime example of this, if you don't believe me, would be the disciples. Right? Time and time again, Jesus taught to his disciples 
in, in an interactive way, in a visual way. And time and time again, Jesus had to explain to them exactly what he meant. And specifically in this story today, the disciples waited for Jesus to, to finish his parable and leave the crowd. And then they're like, that was great, Jesus. But what did it mean? Right? And I feel like often we do that. We say, yeah, we heard what you were saying, but we didn't understand it or we didn't apply it in our life. And it wasn't that the disciples didn't listen. It wasn't that they didn't hear what was happening. They had a front row seat. It's that they didn't or they weren't ready to understand. And so today we're going to look at a parable that Jesus taught, which differs from some of the other parables recorded from Jesus. And in this parable today, we're going to talk about um, how Jesus kind of lays information out there for us to evaluate ourselves. Most of Jesus' parables, he, he drives home a central point. He gives us a central lesson for us to tangibly take and say, okay, I need to do this. But in this message, he gives us a moment of reflection. He uses this parable to a mass crowd for them to check on the situation of their heart. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Mark 4. If you don't, it's all right. We have it on the screens. Um, but just to give you a little bit of information or warning, there's going to be a lot of, of scripture here. There's going to be a lot of information, so bear with me, and it'll all come back around. But just to give you some context on this scripture, this is hot and heavy in the middle of Jesus' ministry. He's, he's teaching. He's just appointed the 12 disciples. He's healing people. He's being questioned by the Pharisees. And, and because of all this, because he's in the heat of his ministry, he has a lot of attention. Right? He has a large following. I can just imagine that Jesus is walking down the road and there's a cloud of dust behind him from all the people walking behind him. People are constantly coming up to him and asking to be healed. And once they are, they're following him. And so Jesus finds himself walking out of a situation where he's healed people and he's being questioned by the Pharisees. And he makes it to a lake and he stops at the edge of the lake and he decides that this is a time to teach to these people, to teach to the disciples and all the people that have been following. And so I think it's cool. I like boats, and so I'm going to add this in. This is free. Uh, Jesus actually got into a boat to get on the lake to project his voice better to the crowds um, so that they could hear and understand. Again, that doesn't really have anything to do with what I'm teaching about. I just like boats, and so I wanted to add that in. So we'll start in verse 3 of chapter 4 uh, of Mark, and it says this. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have roots, deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Then he said, this is Jesus, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. It's important for us, I think often in our culture and in the way we talk, we, we equate listening with hearing, but specifically in the Greek that this was translated from, what, what he's saying is two different things. He's saying, look, I know that you have ears. I know that you can hear. But the thing is, we, we often hear things and don't take them to heart. We often hear things and don't truly understand or investigate how that's applicable to our life. And so he says that statement at the very end of what, of what he's teaching so that they'll understand the weight of, of hey, I know you're here to listen. I know you're here and you, and you know what I'm saying, but truly understand it and take it in to your life. 
He goes on in verse 10. He says, Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And then he quotes uh, Isaiah 6, which is in the Old Testament, whenever he says this. He says, When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. And so when Jesus is asked the meaning of this parable, when the disciples take the time to say, hey, Jesus, that was great. Everybody thought it was great. But what did you mean? Right? And, and when they did that, when they asked him to explain his parable, he goes into explaining a lot of his existence. And what we see in this, whenever he quotes the Old Testament scriptures, is that Isaiah in Isaiah 6 he is answering a call, a calling to be a messenger for the Israelite people or for God to the Israelite people. And Jesus is referring back to this and he's saying, look, deaf ears is, is, an, is a common thing. People that hear but don't understand happens. But Jesus is saying that I am the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy. I am the fulfillment of this because he says here, otherwise they will turn to me and be forgiven. And so Jesus is clarifying. He's like, yes, Isaiah understood the weight of the message, but Jesus says, I am here so that they can be forgiven. He ties it all back around. He uses that Old Testament reference because the issue wasn't just who the people were, the Israelites back then or the people in that crowd that day. The issue was the condition of the people's hearts. See, Jesus points out this Old Testament scripture to show that he's the fulfillment of the forgiveness that we need as people, not only then, but now, to turn to him. And that even though he is the fulfillment of that scripture, it points out that Jesus, like Isaiah, was being called to speak to a people with differing heart conditions. Not everybody's the same. We're all made in the image of God, but, but sometimes we let our flesh and sometimes we let things gather up, and our heart condition is different. And so he continues on in verse 13, and he says, Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Verse 16, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lures of wealth, and the desires for other things, so no fruit is produced. And then verse 20, he wraps it all up, saying this in his explanation. He says, And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And so I don't know if you're reading along on the screens or reading your Bible, but if you are in a different translation than what we just read out of, you might be reading a different title for this parable. Some of the titles will say the parable of the sower, right? And the sower is basically just a farmer. Maybe your Bible says it's the parable of the seed. Or maybe your, your Bible says that it's the parable of the soil. And it's titled differently and in different translations because there's three different points of view that we can look at this story through. There's, there's three different things that we can kind of, we can take an angle at and we can see and digest and, and dissect what Jesus is teaching here. We can look at it through the point of view of the farmer, or we can look at it through the point of view of the seed, or the point of view 
of the soil. And as we study this parable, we can see that the farmer and the seed are constant, right? The, the soil is changing, but the farmer and the seed don't change. They have a duty. They have a job. They're doing their duty. They're doing their job. They're not changing. They're a constant in the story. And I believe it's easy for us to understand that the seed represents the word of God. It, it's clear in what he says there. And, and the seed represents the truth behind who Jesus is, not only that he came for our forgiveness, but, but that he died on the cross and he was raised again. And, and, and we call that in simple terms the gospel. Right? And so the seed is the gospel. The seed is the message of what Jesus did for us. And the farmer or the sower is the messenger. And the farmer is the one that's spreading the message or spreading the seed. And the purpose of that is to penetrate the soil and produce a plant, right? To produce fruit. I mean, that's elementary stuff. We all know that the purpose of a farmer is to cultivate the field, plant the field, and, and harvest whatever's produced. And so even though we can look at this parable through a couple of different lenses, through the eyes of the farmer, or we can study the terminology behind the seed and, and the importance behind the seed going back to the Old Testament, we're instead going to look at this story through the point of view of the soil. We're going to dig in uh, it's raining, to, the, to the point of view of the soil. And so Jesus, in this parable, he identifies four different kinds of soil. And he's not just giving us a gardening lesson. In fact, most of the people in this region understood how to garden. They understood what the process looked like. But he's pointing out the conditions of the soils because he's representing or he's meaning to teach us that the condition of the soils represents the condition of our heart. And I, I know that when we hear condition of our heart, like we kind of think it's cliche and churchy and it's, it's, we've heard it all of our life. It sounds super cheesy. But what I mean by the condition of our heart is, is asking the question, what are you allowing in? See, because the condition of your heart depends on the things that you allow in your heart because it's not what comes out of the man that defiles him, but it's what goes in to the man. And so the condition of your heart depends on what you allow in that heart. And we need to remember that Jesus is delivering this lesson to a crowd of followers or a crowd of people that have come together to hear from Jesus. That's their, that's their reason for being there, right? They traveled to hear from them, and hopefully that's why we're all in this room this morning is to hear from the Lord, to get a word from the Lord. I know that's why I showed up. And so we say it often. We, we almost become routine in, in, in Christianese of saying, hey, I, I want to hear from the Lord today. I, I want to hear what God has for me. But the question is, and he asks it in verse 9, he's saying, I know you're hearing, but are you listening? I know you're hearing, but are you understanding and taking into account what I'm saying? See, rarely do we ever check the condition of our heart to receive what the Lord is saying. We let the information pass over us as if it was great to hear, but it wasn't meant for us. And so Jesus, after being asked by the disciples, he begins to explain the meaning of the parable because the disciples were just like us. Oftentimes we're scratching our heads saying, what do we do with this? Like you told me this, but, but what do we actually do with this? And so Jesus defines the four, and we're going to go through all four of those. The first one is this. It's the footpath. Verse 15 says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. And when I think of the visual or the imagery of the footpath, I see that one trail, that cattle trail or walking trail or road that has just been run down, right? You, you know it's not concrete. It's not rock. It's just regular dirt or regular soil, but it's been traveled so much that it's packed down. It might as well be concrete. 
It's so hardened, it's so, so set in its way that it's impenetrable. And Jesus uses the footpath to show us, first off, that, that our hearts can be hardened sometimes. Our hearts can be packed down, and when we do that, it's impenetrable for the seed that Jesus has for us. He opens up with this kind of soil to show us that, that hey, you don't, have to have, you don't have to only not be a Christian to have a hardened heart. Sometimes we have a hardened heart just to his obedience, just to what he's calling us to in his life. It's not that we were a different kind of soil than the soil that's right on the side of the path. It's not that we're made up from different materials, but it's that we have a hardened heart. It's that we have things in our life that are compacting and compacting. Maybe we have unforgiveness or, or doubt or fear, whatever it is, and it's compacting in our life to where we don't respond to the seed. It's impenetrable. And so all too quickly, the enemy comes, Satan comes, and takes the seed away. And then Jesus goes into the second kind of soil. It says it's the rocky soil. And in verse 16, it says, The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing in God's word. And this one I really, I struggle with a lot because we do camp ministry. And, and in camp ministry, we have this, this term that we use. And, and when I think about this kind of soil, or when I think about this heart condition, I think about this term that we use in camp ministry all the time. And, and that term is camp high. This is where someone shows up to camp. It doesn't have to be a student. It could be an adult. They show up to camp. They hear the gospel all week long. They hear the gospel in our camps 15 times a day. They hear it all week long. That They know what's being said. They listen. And, and maybe they even have this big emotional moment, right? They, they say, oh, man, I, I know I should be doing this. But then when they leave camp, they're not deeply rooted. When they leave camp, their spiritual high is going to run out at some point. And being that I've done camp, I've, I told you, I, I don't like this. I struggle with this understanding of, of how can that happen? How can you be at camp for a week and be so on fire for God, so it seems, and then all of a sudden, two months later, you're right back in the same hole? And it's because they don't allow the seed to go deep. See, when Jesus defines the rocky soil, he gives us this picture of a person who hears the gospel. They were in the right spot. They went to church. They, they heard what needed to be said. They listened even gladly. And, and maybe they made some promises to make some changes. Maybe they swore up and down they were going to cut things out of their life. But at the end of the day, the depth of the seed was surface level. At the end of the day, even if their behavior changed for a minute, even if they started to look like a real plant for a second or a real Christian for a second, the roots weren't deep enough to withstand what was coming. The roots weren't deep enough to withstand the enemy trying to whisper lies or the enemy sending people to say, hey, that's, that's not real. See, when we have shallow roots, it's easily pulled up or it's easily mowed over. It's easily washed away. And then Jesus continues on with this third type of soil, and it's the thorny soil. In verse 18 and 19, he says, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lures of wealth, and the desire for other things so that no fruit is produced. And in my opinion, the, the thorny soil is, is often misunderstood to be thought of as if the seed never sprouted. To be thought of as, as if the seed never went in the dirt, 
and, and it just got tossed among the thorns and, and nothing ever happened. That a plant was never produced. But when I studied this parable, when I looked at it, and, and I've, I've looked at this parable a dozen times, and maybe I was only hearing and not truly listening and understanding, but when I truly listened and, and understood what was going on, I noticed that Jesus doesn't say that the plant was never produced. What he says is that nothing was ever produced out of the plant. And when we study this parable, when we see the imagery of the soil that Jesus defines among the thorny soil, it shows that the soil is just crowded out. The soil is covered up in other things. The soil is, is drowned out by what all's going on. And so the seed might have taken root. It might have sprouted up. It, it might even have, have started to grow some leaves, and it might have made a flower or two. But the problem is that the weeds and the vines and the thorns are completely crowding it out. The soil is covered up in these other things that require the plant to split the nutrients between what it's meant to do and things that were never meant to be there. And see, when we find ourselves as the thorny soil, we, we, we try to pick and choose the things that can stay or the things that need to go and, and what we can supply nutrients to and what we can't supply nutrients to because the fact is that when the seed is planted of God in our heart, he says, no, I want everything of you. If you try to have these thorns, if you try to have these weeds in your life, you're just splitting nutrients with me, and that's, that's not okay. That's not life to the fullest. And so maybe we believe, and, and maybe we even let the gospel take a little bit of root in our life. Maybe we show up and, and we say, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing. I'm, I'm going to be a Christ follower. But when I walk out of those doors, I have other things that are in place in my life that I have to take care of, that I have to do, that, that we find those things as a necessity and they almost take up the same space or maybe they take up more space in our life than the true seed. And so Jesus has been crowded out. So the Christ in us has been crowded out because we left the weeds, we left the thorns, we left the things that, that are so easily entangling us. And maybe even if we did believe all that and we let the gospel take root, maybe we're still splitting our time between allowing God to produce something through us and pursuing wealth or pursuing success and desiring other things and worrying. And God never designed us to split time with him. He wants complete unity with us and so when we split nutrients when we split time between obedience in the lord and other things desires and pursuits of wealth and and worrying then we're wasting our time and so even though you might believe in jesus even though you might have a plant if you're among the thorns are you producing fruit and then the last one that jesus identifies is the good soil and this is where we all clap and celebrate, right? Verse 20 says, And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word, and they produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. And I think it's easy for us to see, even if we didn't know anything about planting, even if we didn't know anything about gardening, the, just the, the context of it shows us that the good soil is what's desired. And I believe that if we were to take a poll, all of us in here would probably have a hard time not raising our hand and saying that we're the good soil because we desire to be the good soil. It's good to be fruitful. We know that in all aspects of our life. What we need to know is that good soil is not defined by what our culture says is good. Good soil is good because good soil is willing to be obedient to cultivate. Every, every plot that a farmer plants, every 
field that a farmer cultivates, they are satisfied with it after it's cultivated. They're, they're satisfied with it after it's, it's in the right condition. So the good soil is willing to have things removed so that it can produce more. And when we say that we want to be the good soil so that we can produce maybe just 30, or, or maybe you're optimistic and you want to produce 60 or, or even 100 times more than we ever thought, we shy away from recognizing what's needed to get there. We shy away from recognizing what's needed to be in the position, the heart position of good soil. And so Jesus uses the first three examples not just to bash on people, not just to say, hey, if you're one of these three, go ahead and get out. He's saying, no, you're all soil. You're all, you all can be good soil. You all can be this. But he uses the first three examples of soil that don't produce fruit so that it can paint a picture of soil that will produce. He shows us the things that don't produce so we can say, oh, yeah, those are areas of our life that make sense for them not to be among the seed of the Lord. And what he shows us is that for us to be fruitful, we need hearts that aren't hardened to what the Holy Spirit is planning in our life. He, he shows us through that first example that if we have a hardened heart, it just makes sense for the seed not to be able to penetrate and grow anything. It just makes sense for nothing to happen, for it to only be a footpath unless we repent of that and open our heart up and cultivate that ground for the Lord. And maybe it's, maybe it's not just hardening your heart against anything Jesus says, but maybe it's hardening your heart against that one thing that he's been calling you to that you say, ah, that's not me. Or maybe it's that we need to allow Jesus to take root, deep root in our life, to allow Jesus to go to the core of our hearts, to not just be surface level, to not be shallow in our belief, to not be shallow in our obedience or our willingness, to not just say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this to you. I've tried the bartering game with God, and it didn't work out good. When we try to barter with God, when we try to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this, and, and I'm just going to stay surface level, what we find is that anything can shake us. Anything can tear it away, and then we don't have a plant at all. Or maybe it's that we can't, we can't let wealth it's that we can't let wealth and success and worry and others' opinions drown out the Jesus in us. Maybe you're in the position of the thorny soil. And maybe you're just stacked up with other things that are taking your time, that are taking your heart, that are taking your mind. And you're in the position where you're like, I want Jesus, but I have all these other things that I have to do. And you're saying, man, I, I can't let this one thing go to the wayside to just give that much more to Christ. And what he's saying is, you absolutely can't because I gave it all. Jesus wants us to recognize that, that beauty can happen in the middle of what used to be a thicket of trash. That beauty can happen in the middle of what used to be just thorns. I remember as a kid, uh, we were going to look for sheds on our ranch, and um, this was thick woods. It was, it was a thicket of thorns and briars and vines and poison ivy and all kinds of stuff. And we're walking along, and my dad just takes off running. And I was like, what? Like, I figured he found some horns or something. And he runs in the middle of this thicket, and he finds a muscadine vine. And I was like, cool. Like, it's a grape. Like, what, what are you running for, you know? And, and I got to thinking about it, and I was like, not only did he sprint over there to find this muscadine vine, but just across the road, we had like 15 vines planted in muscadines, the exact same plant that was meant to be there. And as I got to thinking about it and thinking about it, on that muscadine vine in the middle of the woods, surrounded by thickets, surrounded by thorns and briars, 
we maybe got 10 muscadine grapes off of that. But across the road where, where the ground was cultivated and where things were clean and, and where it was all not covered up in thorns and not covered up in vines and, and weeds, there were a lot of muscadine. And they produced year after year after year. See, when we're covered up, may, maybe we can start to try to produce something, but we're not going to be at our full capacity unless we weed those things out, unless we cultivate the ground around us. And so, yeah, Jesus shows us clearly that it's possible to be good soil. Jesus shows us clearly that we are all a kind of soil, and it's possible for us to be cultivated into being good soil. But the issue is, are we truly listening and receiving what he's convicting us of? The issue is, are we truly understanding the areas of our life where we, we aren't good soil, where we aren't producing? Are we truly listening or are we just hearing whenever God says, this is not healthy for our relationship? Because oftentimes I try to plug my ears and I try to act like I don't know that the diesel's right over there. I try to act like I don't know that it's easier for me to just do the thing that I'm being told to do. And so we can think up a situation all day long. We can play like we're the good soil. But what about reality? I mean, if you were to be honest with yourself and if you were to be honest with the condition of your heart, which, which type of soil would you really be? Which type of soil would you see yourself in the middle of? Are you surrounded by thorns? Is your heart completely hard to the idea of God, or are you hardened to the independent obedience that God is calling you to? I've been there. Are you, are you shallow in your faith? Are you not allowing God to take deep root in your heart because, because you know that when he takes deep root, it's only going to grow from there, and you're comfortable with where you're at? Are you not allowing God to take deep root? Is Jesus covered up by the worries? Is he covered up by your pursuit of success or by your pursuit of things that take you away from the Lord? Are you covered up in, in, in prioritizing the other things in your life and saying, man, I have to do this well before I can fully be obedient? Or are we the good soul? If I'm honest with myself, some days, most days, I don't feel like I'm the good soul. Most days, I feel like I try to prioritize things in my life. Most days, I feel like I've, I've hardened my heart in areas where I need to be obedient. Most days, I feel like, man, I'm, I'm shallow in this area. If I was to be asked about this, I, I wouldn't know. And so we can see from this parable the four different kinds of soil and the areas of our life that need work. I think there's areas of our life where we can be all four. There's places in our heart where, where we're hard and, and where we're, we're covered up in thorns and where we're shallow. But then maybe there's areas of your life where you have been obedient. And it's good to celebrate that. But can you just imagine a world or can you imagine a crowd of people that come together to worship where we are all in the position of thriving and growing and, and considered good soil? It's not all going to be perfect every day of the week. But we can listen, truly listen, and apply what Jesus is telling us. And the last question I want to leave us with is this right here. Are you willing to cultivate and prune the things out of your life so that Jesus can take deep root and produce something through you? Jesus wants something to come out of you. He, he made you 
and he created you for a reason. He wants you to produce something. All he's asking you to do is to cultivate and prune things out of your life so that you can be productive to the max. So that you can be good, not by culture's standards, but good by obedience and willingness. So as you go throughout the week, ask yourself, what kind of soil am I? If you're real bold, ask your spouse, what kind of soil am I? And truly dig in and truly figure out the areas of your life where maybe you've heard, but you aren't listening. The areas of your life where, where maybe you know what's right, but you, you just haven't decided to do it yet. Y'all pray with me. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that, that you give us parables. Father, that you give us tools to, to truly understand, to truly digest the, the topics and the lessons that you are teaching us to truly digest and, and comprehend the, the ideas that you want us to have. And, and Father, I thank you for parables that show us your true heart. Father, parables that make us confident that you are good soil, that we can, that we can be planted in you, but Father, that, that we can also be good soil. Father, that it's possible for us to repent from a hardened heart. It's, it's, it's possible for us to cultivate the areas of our life where we have totally pushed away obedience, the areas of our life where we are covered up, or the areas of our life where we're just shallow. Father, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would convict us to repent from those three areas. Father, that we would turn to good soil, that we would turn to pruning, that we would turn to cultivating, because it will produce a harvest. It wasn't in question. The only thing in question is how much you can do through us because you can do so much more than we can imagine. So, Father, I pray that as we go into this last song, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Father, that we would have ears to hear and to understand. So, Father, we love you and we trust you. And I ask you to pray in Jesus' name. Amen.